0: It just seems like the Lord is, uh, I mean, every summer that I've worked here, it just seems like the Lord has done awesome things. But I think with the focus on the resurrection, man, it's just been so Christ-centered. It's been so, uh, I think, just all the sessions exalting Jesus. And, and, you know, Jesus said, if you lift me up, I'll draw people to myself. And so we've just seen God really do amazing things in people's lives. So we're coming into this week expecting that, praying for it. And I I know you guys are. Basically, what I want to do this morning is with that idea of Christ as a cornerstone, that everything in the church is built off of who He is and what He's done, Um, looking at discipleship and the Lord's command to us before He leaves, uh, what what that looks like, um, kind of getting a, starting with a, a broader picture of what discipleship is going to look like, not necessarily getting into details, but kind of a broader view of discipleship, And then I want to spend the second half of the breakout talking about kind of like huge foundational stones that we're building in our ministry that we're building on. When, you know, thinking about if you have students that are going to be in your ministry for three years, six years, some of them will hang around for eight, right? Uh, Whether you want them to or not, Um, you know, but the time that you have with your students, I think these things that I want to encourage all of us that they should be. Uh, foundational pieces, things that we should always be building on, working towards, like whatever, whatever events we plan, um, you know, camps that you take your kids to or the camp that you take your kids to, um, you know, you're planning for what you're going to teach through the year, small group, Sunday school, that these things should always be in focus, that we should always be growing um, these things in our students. So we'll walk through. I think I've got like 13 things, and so we'll go fast, kind of through them, make a few comments Um, But yeah, basically, just to talk about our role as making disciples and the responsibility we have there. So let me pray for us, and we'll get started. Lord Jesus, love you. God, thank you for uh, this time that we get to spend together, and pray that it would glorify you, and that you'd be honored, and that Christ would be exalted, that you are the cornerstone, that if, if we don't build on the truth of who you are, what you've said, and what you've done, that we do everything in vain, and so, God, I pray that you would keep us faithful to you, keep us faithful to your word, and use us to make disciples who make disciples for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. So, um, yeah, for, you know, for, for me thinking about discipleship, um, I went to, uh, I, I became a believer when I was 18. was when God saved me. And so, God rescued me. I started going to a good church. Um, the preaching was, was awesome. And I still, I was only there for like a year and a half and there's still so much that I remember that was said at that church and things that, you know, it was just such a sponge at that time. Um, I'm so thankful for, but I remember going to a, a number of people and I didn't even really know what I was asking for, but I just, I knew that I needed it. And so I was asking these older men, I went to a men's conference uh, that that church held and, uh, you know, I sat down on a table with a group of men I didn't know. And I, and I just started talking over supper, and I asked one guy, I said, well, would you be willing to disciple me? And, uh, you know, you could tell I just caught him, you know, from left field. And he was like, well, uh, let me see, let me get back to you. And he gave me a copy of The Green Letters, eventually, which is a good book. Y'all familiar with that? I got like five copies the first year I was a Christian, but apparently no one else knows about it. This is basically it's a, just a, a thin book that talks about prayer, Bible study, fellowship, good stuff. But it was like, here's discipleship. And uh, for real, I got, I mean, multiple copies in that first year when I asked people to disciple me. Um, I asked one of the pastors on staff of that church if he would disciple me. And uh, he took me to play basketball one time. So that was cool. Um, but it, it wasn't until I, I got to Liberty University. I, I, I went there because I knew I wanted to um, go into ministry. I didn't know what that meant either. Uh, but I knew I, God was calling me to do something. So I went to Liberty And I was on. actually ended up on a dorm with Zach and Spencer. Um, Zach leads worship for us, and Spencer's a guy who some people uh, say resembles me. Um, I don't. Frankly, I don't see it. But, uh, um, but anyway, so we're on a dorm together, and we were just hanging out. You know, it wasn't until like halfway through the semester that I realized like these guys are actually disciples dawned on me like they were spending time with me. It was intentional. We were talking about the Lord, um, but it was also informal usually uh, we 'd go you know this in Lynchburg there's tons of places to go to hike or mountain bike or you know rock climb, and we 'd go do stuff like that. we'd just hang out, talk about scripture, talk about what the Lord's teaching us and then uh, I remember one time Spence did take me to play basketball, which Uh, I really don't enjoy but at the end of it he was like we're going to share the gospel with these guys like whoever we're just playing kind of pick up basketball and we shared the gospel and I I, I got to watch it how he did that and I realized man he's he's discipling me and so that that became truly life changing for me where I saw that okay there's a formal aspect to discipleship and an informal kind of the as you go so anyway um, I was going to tell a story but I think Carter you got a video that's going to illustrate this better right yeah, go ahead and play that video. This speaks for itself, really um, see so yeah, just that that what I call the Miyagi principle right mm-hmm. that uh, you know that seems awesome right because he 's learned karate, but he didn 't know it right because Mr. Miyagi was instructing him, spent time with him showing him how to do these things, and then it, and it dawns on him oh, now i now I can you know block every punch in the world. Um, uh, I tried to figure out a way to work Elizabeth Shue into the scene, but it didn't work out. One of my first... Never mind. Um, but, uh, you know, I think... I think... Because really is... I, for a lot of us in youth ministry, we do and we should put so much emphasis on the teaching aspect, the, the instruction. Like, what, what I'm doing now, standing up, a prepared message. There should be huge emphasis on that. The actual teaching, the instruction. Um, but just as much as the I mean, the the informal setting right the while you 're on the way, while you 're on the go, um, demonstrating, showing, and then in, really empowering like having the students to do it to do Christianity just in day to day life um, John thirteen Jesus speaking he says, "You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am, so this is right after jesus Showing him you know, that he's, he's washed the disciples' feet. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. So it's here we see it where he took this time where he just had his disciples around him, gets down and washes their feet, right? And, and the, there's that interaction with Peter where Peter's saying, no, no. And the Lord teaches him through it. But then, and then he steps back and he explains to him, okay, I've given you an example. Like, I've done this for you. You need to do it. And so we see that kind of this principle wrapped up in that one little passage of there's going to be formal teaching, but there's going to be the informal, and there's going to be the example, and then the empowering to follow that example. Um, so Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We know this passage well. And I love it because the Great Commission, one, it obviously, you know, especially in Matthew's gospel, it follows right on the heels of... Um, the uh... <laughs> that was awesome did you hear that your husband is calling you <laughs> I pictured an old lady who smoked her whole life with one of those things like you know like... <laughs> which isn't funny don't laugh at that y'all are horrible people <laughs> <laughs> it's time to take your medicine okay um Let me just read this. That would probably be the best thing for me to do right now. Okay, verse 18 of chapter 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, so right on the heels of the resurrection, Jesus is about to ascend, um, and he's he's promised them, you know, the Spirit's going to come. Empower them. Uh, but in this, he gives us our, our great commission, right? Like he gives us our job as believers, not just ministers, like, but believers, Christians, period. And I love that he bookends it with his authority, right? All authority has been given to me. What I'm going to tell you to do, I have the authority to tell you to do it because of the resurrection, because of who he is and what he's done. But then he bookends it with the promise of his presence. I'm with you. Right? So, not only do I, I have the authority to command you guys to do this, but I'm going to be with you. Right? We're, we're doing this together. He's the power that um, drives our ministry. And so, what's the command in this passage? What's the command? Make disciples. Right? The going is assumed that the command, the emphasis on is on make disciples. And he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Right? So... And this would be conversion, this would be evangelizing and seeing people come to Christ, baptizing them, assumes that. And then the teaching them all that Christ has taught us. Easy, right? Got it. That's a lot. Everything that Jesus taught us by word and by deed and by example and by instruction, like, that's huge. And Jesus said, this is what it means to make disciples. See them converted and then teach them my words and my ways. Right, so this is a huge responsibility, especially for those of us who would uh, that have been called to ministry, right? To have called to pastor, um, and then those of us who would you know lead small groups and, and Sunday school and whatever that looks like in your context, and then taking on this responsibility to truly to disciple. So, I want to look at a, a couple different definitions of discipleship. I think just to help clarify. Um, but real quick to look at that word and um, to observe, uh, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Just this idea of, okay, get them, right, get them to pay careful attention, right, to draw their attention to the words and way of Jesus. That ultimately what our goal here is, is that we make followers of Christ, that, that, that God would use us in our ministry to produce students who follow Jesus, Right, that, that pay careful attention to Jesus and then follow that example, follow Christ in their life, their followers of Jesus, so that they would be disciple-makers, right? that we're making disciples to make disciples. Um, so this definition of discipleship comes from uh, the good Dr. Zach Mabry. He said this, um, he said, This is what discipleship is. It's people coming to faith in Jesus and then being taught how to live like Christians for the glory of God. This is what discipleship is. It's people coming to faith in Jesus and then being taught how to live like Christians for the glory of God. So what I want to do is kind of take a, a broader view of discipleship. and Because I think sometimes we we can focus just on one aspect. And there's going to be relationships that we have that you just have like... A sliver of what discipleship means in that person's life, right? Like there's summer staff that come in that work with us. That is awesome, and I would say that for some of them, I have uh, I get to play just a small role, right? That I'm not their uh, their pastor. I'm not discipling them over years, but for the summer, I may meet with them four or five times just because they want to talk about um, some specific situation, right? Maybe uh, what's common is some girl, right? A guy's going to come talk to me about how he feels about a girl, which, I mean, that never gets old. He doesn't love having that conversation, um, which usually in our context, it's like, wait, wait till summer's over. Like, let the choco tan go away, and then, then you'll be ready to pursue. Um, but uh, but it's really an honor, but really, that's more like I'm I'm just trying to give wise counsel, right? I'm trying to give, I'm trying to help them look into their situation, take biblical principles and apply it to their situation. So trying to help them see not just, here's good advice, take it, but like, here's how to apply the Word of God, which is a, the bigger lesson, right? How to apply the Word of God to your situation. Um, but that's said, like, I'm not, I'm not, I, that's not all of what discipleship is or can mean. Um, but a lot of times our relationships will just be you know, kind of singular, just one aspect of discipleship. Um, but when we're talking about our students, you know, we really do have the privilege and responsibility of having more of the, the idea of being an over shepherd, you know, making sure that they are being discipled in the ways of, of in the words of Jesus. <clears throat> so I already mentioned this, but formal and informal times that we saw Jesus do this, the apostles do this, that they're very much, and we'll talk about it in a minute, the importance of rightly handling the Word of God, right, and that we need to be teaching the Word of God um, and and, and doing that well. But also, man, if we're going to say we're discipling people, there needs to be the informal. And, you know, maybe for some of your ministries, that your youth group is to a size where you go, yeah, I can't personally disciple 35 students, right? Um, Jesus took 12. Like, who do you think I am, right? So, like, Yeah, you're right. You can't. And so maybe what that's going to look like for you as your youth group grows or maybe it's already there that you back up and say, okay, I can't disciple intimately the way that I'd like to each one of my students. So I'm going to disciple some students. But maybe what you need to see is I need to step back and I need to disciple leaders to disciple students. Right. So the principles that we're going to talk about will look more like you discipling your leaders and equipping them to be able to disciple students. Right. And, and this is what Paul tells Timothy is um, really the, the role of the, the, the pastor, the, the teacher, the elder, is to to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Right. A lot of what we're, we should be doing as pastors is equipping others to do the work of the ministry. Um, so formal and informal, formative and corrective, formative and corrective. Um, so formative, this is the the positive aspect of discipleship, right? This is the, the teaching, the instruction, the example. Um, the corrective is just that, right? When somebody who's a believer, who's under our care, isn't following Jesus. Whether that's, you know, one big momentary slip-up or a pattern of... Um, yeah, they're falling away, they're they're not following the Lord, they're beginning to live like a non believer, they're 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 sinning and, and we know it and we gotta deal with it, right? So I want to say this, because you know, when we call that church discipline, right, and, and that's laid out in scripture, there's a biblical way to do it, um, but it, it is a necessary and huge aspect of discipleship in every believer's life, right? That at some point we all need corrective discipleship. None of us are above it, none of us are beyond it. Um, And probably very few of us have seen it done well. Um, And so I think on the positive side, if we're doing the formative well, like if we're investing in people's lives, spending time with them, teaching them God's word, if they see us being faithful, if we're setting an example that's worthy to be followed, right? Where they can mark us out as somebody who is following Jesus, that that our lives should be uh, what they want to emulate, then if we're doing the, that work on the front end where we're investing in them, we're teaching them, we're loving them, we're, we're bringing them along, not just to sit and listen to us talk, but to live life with us, well, then when the corrective is necessary, I think if we've done the work on the front end, it should make, Lord willing, it would make the corrective the one-step process, right? Where rebuke becomes necessary, um, and love and humility to go somebody and, and to, to point out, How how they're living doesn't match up to the words and ways of Jesus and that they would respond that that we've taught them how to respond by even demonstrating that in our own life. Right. Even with my kids, I think this is huge. uh, Seven, four and two. And there's been multiple times where I've gone to my kids and apologized, just apologize. I mean, I I sinned against you. Right. You what you were doing was wrong. But how I was responded to what you were doing was worse. Because I should know better, and I'm sorry. You know, and I think that's big that they see that I'm not above correction, that when the Lord disciplines me um, and corrects me, or, or when my wife does, that I, I need to respond. <laughs> uh, um, I was being serious, uh, I was on a roll being serious, um, that I need to respond. Biblically, I'm setting that example. I'm discipling them. This is how you respond when, when, when you've been corrected. You know, but but if not, we need to be able to follow through church discipline and see that as discipleship, not see that as, you know, pushing somebody away, but seeing this as you know, we if we're gonna teach them what Jesus taught us, then we need to obey what the, the standards here for church discipline, knowing that, that is that is discipleship. Okay. So formative corrective. Um, So let me say a few things of what discipleship is not. And really what I mean by that is not just or not only. That these are aspects of discipleship, but it's not all that it means, okay? So discipleship is not just mentoring, right? It's not just being a wise and experienced advisor. It's not just some kind of material. It's more than giving someone a book. It's not just a program, um, right? Which, you know, being organized turns out in life is really good. Uh, I'm, so I'm trying to learn that more and more as I get older. That I need to be more and more organized. Um, so being organized is great. And so for maybe for some of you guys, have an awesome program that you you've got a year, maybe two years planned out. Maybe you've got the whole time from when a student enters your ministry till when they leave. You've got that mapped out, and that's that's awesome, right? But discipleship isn't just having a program in place that you can lay over somebody's life like a cookie cutter and they pop out, you know, golden and chewy and ready to go. Like, sorry, cookies. Um, it's not just a program where for each individual it's going to look the same, right? That that's not all discipleship is. Again, program's good. Like, we should be organized. We should be thought through. We should be disciplined and set that example. But the, the program itself isn't all that discipleship is. Um, okay. Let me read uh, one more longer definition of discipleship. And really the first and the last sentence in this uh, quote, I'll read twice because I think it's the the really helpful part. Um, All right. So, at its core, discipling is essentially whatever we do to intentionally help other Christians to grow up in holiness. At its core, discipling is essentially whatever we do to intentionally help other Christians to grow up in holiness. It's a process of becoming like Christ. It's not a program. It may mean reading a good Christian book and discussing it. It may mean outlining a book of the Bible together. It may mean going through a class together and discussing it over lunch. It may mean sharing insight from the weekly sermon over a meal. It may... See how, many, how often food's coming up? It's not coincidental. It may mean having a young man or woman to your house to observe your marriage and family. What discipling looks like in practice is pretty wide open. The key is that whatever you do should be rooted in the truth of Scripture and presented on the basis of an intentional, loving relationship. The key is that whatever you do should be rooted in the truth of Scripture and presented on the basis of an intentional, loving relationship. Uh, For some reason, I didn't write down where that came from, but I didn't write it. Um Disciples are not merely learners, but fruit-bearing disciple-makers. They multiply multiply themselves. That's from John Stark. Um, disciples are not merely learners, but fruit-bearing disciple-makers. They multiply themselves. Um, so, with this broader view of discipleship, that it is, it is, sometimes it is going through a book with somebody. It is teaching them how to study the Bible and, and working through books of the Bible. It is, you know, the formal time of sitting down and instructing them and giving them counsel and showing them how to take biblical principles and applying it to their home life and their difficult situations and their attractions and all these different things. Um, but it, it's also, uh, you know, when I went out, when I was a youth pastor uh, years ago now, um, there was a great Frisbee golf course, not far from where the church was. And I would take and go pick up some of the kids after school and, and really, I, initially, I was just doing I knew I wanted to hang out with them and uh, invest in them. And it turned out to be great because they really began to love it. And we'd, we'd play after school like two or three days a week. And it was just a great time of – I never had a plan for that time. I, kn- I didn't have, like, these are the topics I want to hit with these guys as much as we would hang out and just talk about life. And then we'd always – you know, we'd run into people. We'd run into other people out there. And I would just try to, you know, not – do something strange in my life. But hopefully this is part of just who I am is to share the gospel with people. And, and it was awesome because they, they began to push me. Like we'd see people like, you know, three or four holes away and be like, let's hurry up and catch up. Let's, let's play through fast so we can catch up. Maybe we'll get to share the gospel with those guys. And just awesome things like that started to happen where you're like, yeah, this is this is discipleship. They're seeing me do it. And now they want to do it, right? they If anything, like I felt like their shoulder was in my back saying like, all right, are you for real here? Is this really who you are? Um, So, I do think that just uh, say real quick before we move into kind of those bigger blocks that we would want to see in our ministries. Um, I think it is important to have our students um, feel the the weight of the responsibility for them to be disciples. Uh, You know, and I don't think it's either or. Um, but I think it needs to be both where there's a desire on our part to pursue students to disciple them, um, but they also need to feel the weight of I needed to be discipled, right? That some of you have tried this where you pursued after a kid who didn't want to be discipled, who who maybe talked about it, uh, and then you went after them and it was just, you end up wasting hours of your life and you realize this kid's not interested in this. And maybe there's other kids that are and you're, you know, or you could have been home with your family. You're like, and I'm investing in this kid, and they're just they don't want anything to do with it. You know and it's not as fruitful as it as it could be if they felt the need and, and the responsibility. And so I think it's appropriate to be like, oh if you're gonna if we're gonna do this, you gotta you gotta put in some effort here. you got you gotta you, you gotta take time out of your life um, to come be part of mine, right and, and to put that responsibility on them I think is is good. It needs to go both ways. Um, okay. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says this in, in the context of Jesus is better, so persevere to the end, right? The main theme of the book of Hebrews, Jesus is awesome. He's better than everything. Everything is pointing to Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. So because of who Jesus is and what he's done for our salvation, we need to persevere faithful to the end. So in chapter 10, right in the middle of a, I mean, punch you in the jaw warning from Scripture, um, the writer says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Right? Awesome. So, there's a lot in that passage, but what I want to focus on is where he says, Consider. Consider how to stir one another up to, to love and good works. Uh, I love that word there because it's it's strategic. He is saying, like... Hey, you, believer, Christian, think about, think about, be strategic in how you're going to encourage other people, other believers, to love and good works, to follow Jesus, to be faithful to the end, to not, under persecution, to to, to no longer join our meetings together, right? That, that meeting together as a local body isn't optional, even in the face of persecution, let alone, you know, NASCAR or NFL or you know, it's your only day to sleep in, right? Like, people want to kill you for showing up. That's still not a good enough reason. So, get your lazy butt out of bed, American Christian. Okay, I feel better. does it feels better to say it out loud? Okay, um, <laughs> that. So yeah, and he's saying, consider, be strategic, because you know, for some of for some of our students, the only time that you're going to get to see them is on Wednesday night, right? Because they have been against their will. And rightfully so, against their will, their parents have made them come, right? And that's the only time you're going to get to see them. Or they come because of some kid that they think is cute or whatever. Or you provide food or there's good games or whatever, for whatever reason, that the only time you see them is on Wednesday night. So how strategic do you need to be if you're going to push this kids toward, toward Jesus, right? Like you can't, I mean, show up, trust the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The writer of Hebrews here is saying consider. Consider. Be strategic. Think about how to minister to that individual. There's people in my church. I, I'm one of the pastors at a church that meets here. And yeah, there's people that we only see them on Sunday night. And and for a long time, I remember just being like, oh yeah, that person, <laughs> right? Hey brother, how's it going? Things going okay. As they're like following them, as they walk out the door, think, okay, I need to have a, a better game plan here than just you know, last-minute conversation, but to think about how do I encourage this person? How do I encourage them to be part of our fellowship and to to really be able to push them towards Jesus? Um, so I like that word, consider. All right, so now I want to go through about 12 or 13 big rocks, right, that we're going to build on the cornerstone of who Jesus is and what he's done, his example, his words, his way, and then things that I think... Um, that man, if we have these in view, if we can keep this in focus as we're, we're planning on how we're going to minister to students for however long we have them, I think these things should always be reinforced. Um, so the first thing is, uh, the first rock, teach them the cost of following Jesus. Teach them the cost of following Jesus. Uh, Matthew 10, 37-39, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew sixteen twenty four through 26 Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall man give in return for his soul? I think it's good... Um, and biblical that we are up front with what it looks like to follow Jesus, right? That we're not promising them. We're not trying to create a picture that the Christian life is fun or easy. That following Jesus means uh, death. That means take up your cross and follow me, so die to the old self. It may mean death in relationships between people that you love and care about, but as you follow Jesus, they may reject that. Right? That may mean persecution at school to follow Jesus. Man, that they would feel the weight of what it means to follow Jesus up front. We need to be up front with them. That there is a cost to following Jesus. So and especially in a in a culture that's becoming daily, right? Do y'all feel it? Do y'all feel it? Remember remember old people used to say like how bad things were getting, and then people used to say, Ah, oh, it's always been bad. Oh no, it's getting worse. Right? It's getting worse. It's getting worse. I mean, that's what this world is doing and our we're now we're really starting to see it happen in our culture. And I mean it, it is it is happening faster and faster. And I mean you feel like you can't even keep up with it. Like what do I think? And then never mind, I almost got into Facebook. Let's not do that. Um it's happening, right? And so persecution's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Right? Let's prepare our students. We should have been preparing them always, but let's let's make sure we're doing it. Like let's keep this out front. Let's remind them that we follow Jesus no matter what. We follow Jesus no matter what. That's what it means to, to be a Christian. Okay. So teaching them the cost. Uh, number two, teach them to rightly handle the Bible. Teach them to rightly handle the Bible. You know, I want my student when they leave my ministry to be able to rightly handle the word of truth. Right? To, to be able to test what they hear, every the spirit, right? Test the spirit of the teaching to be able to, to not be tossed around by every wind of doctrine, that they stand firm in Scripture, right? So teach them to rightly handle the Bible. How are we going to do that? How are we going to teach them to rightly handle it? Don't forget Mr. Miyagi. Yeah, wax on wax off, that's right. Have them wash your car once a week. Um, yeah, we need to rightly handle the Scripture. Week in and week out, I I really, I really believe this. As we rightly handle the scripture, more than you know, this week Spencer Davis teaches how to study the Bible. It's awesome. I mean, it's just a great session and so needed and necessary. But what'll impact them way more going to that thirty-minute session will be great. I encourage it. Um, I think I maybe teach opposite, so there's maybe uh, you know encourage them to go to that as well and listen to Spencer's later. Um, But just kidding. But what will impact them for the long haul, right, like actual real long-term discipleship, is you, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, every time you do Sunday school, every time you have small group, every time you open the Word of God, that you rightly divide it, that you handle it correctly. Um, So 2 Timothy 2.15, again, this is pastoral, or really it's uh, apostolic command to a pastor, which is what, what the church needs to hear. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Right. So we're going to answer to God, so work hard. Like This is where, yeah, we need to put in hours and time, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, small group leader, or a pastor, put in the hard work to be able to get the right meaning of a passage. That's what it means to rightly handle, to rightly divide, is get the right meaning of that passage, and that's hard work. And you'll answer to God for it. Uh, 1 Timothy four thirteen through 16 Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by a prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and the hearers. So again, work hard at this, right? Persist in this. Persevere in this. What? Read Scripture, give the teaching. Some of your translations may say doctrine there. I think that's help, helpful for us to be more clear. So teach, uh, reading it, give the meaning, give the doctrine, give this is what this means, and the exhortation, right? How to apply it. Read it, explain it, apply it. Show them how it applies to their life now, right? And, and that's hard work. I mean, that is hard work. That is time-consuming work because in order to rightly handle the Scripture, And yeah, you gotta do some background study. You gotta bridge some gaps of culture and language and time to be able to rightly get the get the right meaning out of a passage, right? So that we get the eternal truth out of scripture and then to be able to apply it to their life, right? To apply that eternal principle to their day to day life. That's hard work. That's what we're called to. And that's why James says, Hey, let not many of you become teachers. Knowing that we're going to we're going to give an account, right? That there's a stricter judgment here. How you handle the word of God. One last statement. I I got to go fast, but one of my favorite teachers of all time uh, is Charles Spurgeon. I love I love Chuck, right? I named my, my, my boy's middle name is Haddon. I like Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Okay, I like him. I love his Morning and Evening. Read many uh, sermon manuscripts. Love him. When I read Charles Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. There's a scripture passage up top and then comments below. And what I've come to realize is I can read that passage of scripture and enjoy it because it's the word of God. And then I can read what he says below and enjoy it because it's wise and it's theologically true. But what I've come to realize is that never does he really use that passage for what he wants to say. Um, And even in his sermons, he... He had awesome theology. He was theologically sound and preached truth. And he took Scripture out of context to do it all the time. I like Charles Spurgeon. I can't wait. I'm, I'm going to meet him one day. Um, it'd be great. Like, hey, I name my kid after you. He won't care. Um, <laughs> he was guarded by good theology. But his practice of how he used Scripture was not good. He would take Scripture out of context to support his points when it's like, man, Chuck, there are whole passages that say what you're saying, like, go to those places to do it. Because the danger is that's the method of teaching that a false teacher has to use. A false teacher has to take Scripture out of context to to, to then pervert theology, to pervert the meaning of the Bible and how it applies to your life. And you all know this, right? I mean, the Bible promises us false teachers are not, you know, like, there's no shortage of them. They're in the church. They're all around us, right? And so what we want to be able to do is to train up our students to not be deceived, to rightly handle the Word of God in their own life, to get the right meaning so they can apply those principles to their day-to-day life, but also so that when they go to college, they're not deceived by an intelligent professor, right? So that if they, join, if they go to a campus ministry they're not all of a sudden sucked in by some strange wind of doctrine and end up in left field somewhere, right? And they don't all of a sudden start saying things like, well, you know, everyone's going to heaven. You know, I don't think God would send somebody to hell. Listen to, listen to this, and they, they show you some book they're reading or video series that they've watched, and all of a sudden you're going, man, how do they end up here? Man, if we can teach them to rightly handle the truth, to be able to for themselves go to Scripture, man... We've done an awesome job. That's so huge, so important. Um, okay. So in our teaching, whether you teach topically, whether you go through books of the Bible, do the hard work to get the right meaning out of the Scripture for your sermon, right? That's great. If you if you driving down the road in a sermon, the Lord gives you a sermon in your head, awesome. And then go find Scripture that says that so that you see that the meaning comes out of the text. If you get an awesome sermon driving down the road and you can't find scripture to back it up, scrap it, right? Like, that wasn't from the Lord, it was from Starbucks. Like, leave it alone. Um, man, because more than, more than any one sermon that you teach or one lesson that you lead, they're going to remember how you handle scripture. They should be able to go, when, when you teach, they should be able to listen to your message, go to the passage and go, yeah, I see where that comes from. I see why that makes sense. For a long time, I mean, a lot of the preachers that I, I listened to, I'd go, I don't I don't know. God's called me to be a preacher. I don't know how to do this because I don't – this doesn't seem to have anything to do with this passage. And it wasn't until I started listening to people who just worked the books of the Bible and taught expositionally, right? Like, get the meaning out of the text and use that meaning, take the main point of the passage to be the main point of their message where I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. And then you read what Paul tells Timothy and you go, oh, This is all we need to do. Like, I don't need to be creative. I don't have to have some special spiritual gift of sermon prep, right? Like, read the Scripture, do the hard work to get the meaning, and then apply that to my people, my own life first. Okay, i got to go faster. Um, So number three, um, give them a strong theological foundation. These two are obviously uh, tied together. Um, Man, encourage them to ask the hard questions. Teach them how to ask the hard questions of Scripture. Right? When you're working through a passage, like, okay, well, what is is this saying about God? What is this saying about who Jesus is? What is this saying about us? Like, and and ask them the hard questions. Like, so does this not contradict, does this resurrection story not contradict the one in Luke? Like, how come they're different? Like, get them to ask the hard questions. Like, lead them in that. Man, we don't need to be afraid of that. This is where I would encourage, uh, at least at times, to go through books of the Bible with your students um, because if you're just working through a book of the Bible, you can't skip it. You can't skip the hard stuff. You can't skip the, the apparent contradictions. You can't skip the how can God be good and that happen. Like, right, you're going to hit it head on. Don't be scared of it. You may not always have, like, and here is the perfect answer, but show them the process of how you work through it and submit to Scripture. Um, I really... Uh, like uh, catechisms for this, too. Uh, this is what I do with my kids. Um, i am grown up in more Baptist circles. I had no idea what catechisms were. But really, you know, you're just asking questions and, and, and teaching them biblical answers. I do this with my kids even now. Um, I just Googled uh, catechism questions for kids, and there's tons of good ones. Um, but, yeah, just working through list of questions, theological questions, get them to think about the world in that way, and then learn from the Bible how to respond um, all right, number four. Uh, introduce them to apologetics, right? So, planning events, planning your year, think they're okay, we, we, need, to, we need to hit this. We need, I need to be teaching them how to give an answer for the hope that they have, right? That I, I need to reinforce now, while they're in this safe place, some apologetic skills, so that when they get to college, they're not caught off guard, right? When they go into the workplace... And people are challenging these things; they're not caught off guard. But they, so I, I, w- I, want to reinforce like why we believe in miracles, right? Proofs of the resurrection. I want to hit that with my students. I want to hit the reliability of Scripture. Where do we get the Bible? Why, why, why? Are some books in and some books out. What, what, what's the historical, um, you know, uh, proofs for you know why we trust the Scripture? I mean, I want to hit that periodically with my kids so that they're not caught off guard when they leave my ministry. Um, so maybe timing out and doing a topical series on, man, how we got the Bible would be an awesome study. Um, so helpful. All right. Number five, prepare them for suffering, prepare them for suffering. I want to have this in view again, you know, kind of tied into the cost of discipleship, but not just like from outside, but man, inside, like trials, temptation, persecution, but also, man, just death. Right? The effects of sin in a fallen world. Teach them how to handle it. Tell them it's coming. Show them from Scripture. And then in your own life, how you handle suffering. How you handle tragedy. How you handle pain. You know, and this is so different than the model where the shepherd hides his personal life from his people. I think that that's... We're in danger of not being able to be called shepherds if we do that. Right? But to live life together, to show them, yeah, like, when, when this illness happens to my kid, when my wife is going through this, when I'm struggling with depression, this is what it looks like, right? When I'm, when I'm submitting these things to the Lord as hard as it is. And the reality is these kids are going to suffer. Our kids, are, they're going to suffer in this life. Until Jesus comes back, they'll be suffering. In fact, for a lot of them, you know this, it's not on the horizon, it's their world. So enter into it with them. Like Jesus entered into our suffering. Enter into their suffering. Help them navigate it, not just by giving them a verse to hold on to, but show them how that a verse can be fleshed out in the midst of suffering. Um, Teaching that God has sanctifying purposes in all pain, trials, and suffering. Preparing them to suffer will also prepare them for success, too, I think. If we can give them a biblical worldview... Let them see what life is really about. Let them have hope beyond the temporary pleasures of this world. If we're tying hope to what Jesus has offered us because of his resurrection and the resurrection to come for us, then, yeah, that helps us through suffering. It also helps us to rightly view success, rightly view when when they have money, when things are going well, that those things aren't their gods, that it only points to something that's yet to be fulfilled. Um, Number six, prepare them for marriage and family. Prepare them for marriage and family. It would be awesome, right, if every student had godly parents that loved each other, served one another, demonstrated the gospel through their marriage for them. I mean, I'd have to find another line of work because student ministry wouldn't be necessary. But it would be awesome if everyone had that, right? But they don't. They don't. And so, man, our role is so vital to shepherd these students because they don't have godly examples, so many of them. And so, man, we need to be teaching them marriage and family, what it's really about. Teach them about the sacredness of sex. They're being taught about marriage and family and sex all the time. All the time. They need to hear truth about these things from the Bible. So, even in your singleness, if you're a single uh, leader, then yeah, show them what that looks like to follow Christ with your singleness. If you're married, I think this is huge. Man, you need to have people, people need to be able to see your marriage worked out. Whether when there's tension, yeah. That's real life. You know, they don't need to be there for, like, the fist fight, right? <laughs> they don't need to be there when you're brushing your teeth in the morning. But, but they need to be able to see, like, this is what this really looks like. Because for some, so many, they, it's not that they don't have a blueprint for marriage and family. It's that they have a jacked up one. And they need that to be rewritten. And God may give you the honor and privilege of your marriage being able to be that form. Where they can, ten years from now, go, Oh, I know what it's like to be a godly husband because I saw my youth pastor. That's a privilege, right? It's a huge responsibility, um, and we can do that. And, and again, I said the sacredness of sex on purpose. I think it's so they're so bombarded with it all the time. I, I think we do a disservice if we if we jest about it. I think I think it's it's past that. I think we need to uphold the sacredness of sex, right? It needs to be talked about, but it needs to be talked about in light of holiness and the gospel. Um, Unless you come to the marriage retreat here, then we'll joke about it just a little bit. Um, number seven, teach them their identity in Christ. Teach them their identity in Christ. Constantly reinforce this. Teach them who they are in Jesus, what God says to be true about them. Some good resources for teaching them their identity in Christ are Ephesians, Colossians, and 1 Peter. Right? Uh, to me, if I was a student pastor again, uh, man, I, Ephesians... Would be uh, I would definitely take them through Romans, and I would definitely take them through Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, your identity in Christ. Are you kidding me? Is there anything better than that? Um, uh, yeah, teach them their identity in Christ so that they find their purpose, their security, their hope, their identity, all in what Jesus says to be true about them. Not this world and not their own minds, what Jesus says to be true about them. Uh, number eight, prepare them to share their gospel as a way of life. Um, so not... Seeing evangelism as an event, although that's appropriate in its own context, but evangelism as a way of life, that this is who we are, this is what we do, we tell people about Jesus. And the best way that they're going to learn that is by you sharing the gospel with their lost family and their friends. Let them see it. Let them see it, and then then send them to do it. Say, all right, I'm going with you, but you're talking to them. You're sharing the gospel. You know, you know what you believe, man. Like, we've done this, you've seen this. Wax on, wax off, right? Take them to do it. Um, number nine, teach them to love the local church, teach them to love the local church, teach them to love the local church, examine your ministry, make sure your ministry is not undermining the local church. Make sure your ministry is not undermining what's going on in the bigger picture of what your church is connect. You know, you may be the only one doing it, but do it connect, connect the different ministries within your church. The senior citizen ministry, the college ministry, the kids ministry—they should all be connected. Teach them to sit in big church and love listening to sermons and taking notes. Reinforce what's being said by your by your senior pastor, right? Like point back to that. And they said this. You remember this? And, and that's how for our church we do disciple, We call them discipleship groups. We meet once a week in small group settings, really just to talk about the sermon that was preached on on Sunday um, and how we're applying it to our life. And that's been huge. Um. Yep. So support the local church. Teach them why church membership matters. Um, number ten: teach them to love the nations. Teach them to love what Jesus loves. Man, I want to constantly be reinforcing this in their mind. Right? Teach them to see the nations. Go, therefore, there is a go, and the go is assumed in Matthew. Um, the command is make disciples. But yeah, we should be on on the move. The church is moving forward to places that don't that doesn't have the gospel, so that. The nations will have it. Teach them to love what Jesus loves. Get them involved. Uh, Number 11, teach them about college and debt. College and debt. I think this is important. Uh, It's not necessarily a biblical command, but I know when I went to college, I had no idea. First person in my family to go to college, and uh, I knew kind of what a loan was. I had no idea what I was going to graduate from a Christian university with. (laughs) Thanks, people who told me to go to college, right? Like, holy cow. Holy cow. What, um, I mean, teach them, talk to them about like not every, not all of our students should go to college, right? It's not for everybody, and if they do go, they should have a plan, right? Like help them work through a budget and a plan to be able to pay for it. Um, and the last point, again, these are huge rocks, huge stones that I want to reinforce constantly with my students so that they're prepared. To follow Jesus and to make disciples, that they would be a disciple and make disciples, and I think the last but not least of these rocks, these foundational things that I want to reinforce, is bringing the snowbird at least three times a year. I think, I think, I think if you, I think if you do that, you'll be the best youth leader ever. So, um, I don't know. Yeah, and, and buy T-shirts and monster drinks. I don't know. We don't even sell those. Um, but seriously, you know, I love you guys and. You know, it's a huge responsibility, huge privilege. Um, And just, again, man, if we can focus on who Jesus is and what he said and then consider, right, be strategic in how we disciple our students. Lord Jesus, love you. God, thank you for these leaders. Thank you for their hard work. I pray that you bless them, um, God, in in their ministries, that they would feel the weight of discipling and getting their hands dirty in other people's lives. Um, But they'd also see the joy of watching people grow up in the truth and follow You um, and make disciples themselves. They gotta bless them for it. I pray that You bless them and grow their churches and uh, that they would see many people uh, locally and abroad come to know You and call out in repentance and faith and that You would rescue them. Love You, Lord. In Christ's name, Amen. Thank You all.